Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sacred and Profane Love. This is a bonus episode that I am recording on the Hillsdale College, Washington, D.C. campus. Do I have that right? Mm -hmm. And I am very pleased to be joined by Dr. Matthew Meehan, who is an assistant professor of government here at Hillsdale. Welcome to the podcast, Thanks very much. So... I want to talk about two books that you've written this morning. Uh, the first is Mr. Meehan's Mildly Amusing Mythical Mammals. The second is The Handsome Little Signet, which is written by Matthew Meehan and illustrated by John Foley. Before we get to your book, I, I want to talk about a, a tweet of mine. <laughs> Let's start there. <laughs> I don't know if I woke up on the wrong side of the bed or what. Uh, and I, I don't remember what triggered this tweet, but I tweeted, it was like a hate tweet uh, against the Harry Potter adult fandom phenomenon. And the tweet was just like, look, you know, if you're a grown up and like your favorite book is Harry Potter, I, I've got a problem with that. Read you know? another book. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're so, obs- if you're an adult and you're so obsessed with J.K. Rowling you know, because you're this Harry Potter super fan, like, we need to talk. And the amount of vitriol and hate <laughs> I got for this tweet was, I didn't, I, again, I obviously, it's just a lack of foresight on my part. Anyway, it was ridiculous. But then amidst all the hate were some interesting claims. So people were saying things like, no, it's actually fine for adults to enjoy and read children's literature, if children's literature is good literature, then it will be equally suitable as literature for adults or children. And then a lot of people were citing C.S. Lewis. They're like, look, I read the Chronicles of Narnia. They're great. I'm an adult, blah, blah, blah. To which my response was, and this is what I want to talk about, whether or not I'm correct or, or what, My response was, well, yes, of course you can enjoy children's literature as an adult with children. Like that's the, I mean, you should be reading children's literature with children and you should enjoy reading with children. It's wonderful. But like my complaint isn't about that group of people. So this is just a segue into asking a general question, which I think is worth talking about. And that is, you know, how ought we to think about children's literature as opposed to normal literature and how adults should a- approach children's literature? Yeah, no, that's great. I imagine muggle was probably the kindest thing you were called in the, the hate mob on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people told me to die. Yeah, oh, nice. that's a, <laughs> a different uh, Latin excrucio or whatever, different yeah. spell names. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally share your, your, your general sort of potter dumb, like, come on, people. I, yeah. was, at, I was doing a, a talk at Capital One once about rhetoric for their, their middle management, just totally random, never did it again, never did it before. Uh-huh. And I just was walking to the hall to talk and I see this boardroom that's the Hogwarts Consortium boardroom. I'm like, come yeah, on, yeah, read it's another weird. book, you guys. Yeah, it's weird. But uh, anyway, the so I like to call my my books, although more so Mian's Mammals or M5, I, I like to call them family books uh-huh. because I try to write for the upper register for the adults so mm-hmm. that they're not bored to tears by something saccharine and pointless. Yeah, like Pete the Cat. Like, yeah, exactly. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. 
The, uh, but even like ones that are really beautiful and lovely are still like, they don't, they, they don't put an upper register in sometimes. And while you're like, that's a good book for kids, it's just for kids. And you're like, mm-hmm. you know, it just bores you to mm-hmm. tears, even though you can kind of admire what it's done. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm with you that that the reason why you do that is so that families read good books together. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, I mean, look, if you have the leisure of your kids are grown or you don't have kids yet or you don't have kids for whatever reason. Why don't you read some Conrad, some, yeah. you know, some Dostoevsky, some Tolstoy, yeah. some Shakespeare, like go up yeah. a register. So I do think that's a bit of an infantilist argument to say, yeah, I just get to read those over and over. If you're in education, then you should be reading them over and over again, mm-hmm. right? As a teacher so that you can make reference to them and mm-hmm. know them and discuss them with students. So I think in my life as a teacher, it's been very normal to see a bunch of adults rereading juvenile fiction. Mm-hmm. But hopefully there's an adult world that's pushing to the high end. Right. Yeah. I mean, there obviously is a difference between children's literature and just literature without qualification. I do think that there is a certain kind of humorous, sort of strangely playful catacomb kind of situation going on in the arts where people are doing things that aren't normally done in kids' lit because the literary sort of superstructure or superculture doesn't like certain things to get out and famous and mm-hmm. be known. And so people will sort of hide and schnooker in little important things that they want to do with literary arts. I've, I feel that way about my work in one sense is certain things that you wouldn't even really be allowed to do in the sort of current milieu, except in a subculture. Mm-hmm. The subcultures aren't destroyed. It's a free country. But mm-hmm. the sort of wider, get to a wider audience, like you can't do it. It's mm-hmm. not permissible. Right. The critics and judges won't let you. So mm-hmm. there's, I think there is something about kid lit now that's weird in that people are sometimes exploding the genre in strange ways mm-hmm. because they're frustrated about the current sort mm-hmm. of situation in adult lit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and then there's this new thing, YA, young adult, right? Yeah, I don't touch it. But, I, you know, I also know a lot of grown-ups. And I don't mean, I, I, I mean like colleagues of mine in the university environment who exclusively, you know, obviously they, they have their scholarly research. But when we're talking about their leisure reading, you know, it's like YA stuff. And I'm like, mm, you know, I don't, it doesn't seem right. Yeah, you know? I, I know the line, get them reading books, then get them reading good books, right? Isn't that Sam Johnson, I think? Yeah, I'm completely against this. Yeah, it's a little, it, well, it, there's a truth in it in one sense, because they can't read the highest things first. But the idea that you would give them garbage first right. is silly. <clears throat> right. It's just, I think what he meant was not the heights of culture, mm-hmm. but the idea that you would sort of, you know. I mean, I have, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Like, I have a sort of, like, I talk about, like, my favorite, this is the best bad movie, and I love it. Like, there's <laughs> a terrible movie, Pacific Rim. It's just awful. It's I haven't just seen cheesy. It. It's absurdist. But I watched it, and I'm like, okay, that is absolute garbage, cotton candy, popcorn, <laughs> like, you know, the ballpark Frank, like, uh-huh. just bad food. Uh-huh. But I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So I, I get that there's that in fiction where you can just sort of enjoy something that's not that great. Well, what is your junk food fiction? So I, tr- I frankly have tried to, given that I'm a PhD in literature, I've tried to sort of go on a diet, right? And like okay, you're healthy, like a vegan when but, it comes to... But if I, if, 
if I were to go back and regress, it would be like, I could read a Tom Clancy novel in like two seconds and like oh. kind of enjoy some of that old Cold War goofballery or yeah. or Benchley's Beast, you know, yeah. like something like that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just make a confession. I actually really enjoyed Dan Brown's novels. <laughs> like they're completely, like if you just bracket the just absolutely the absurd. Insanity. Yeah. Because I read them because my mother-in-law was reading them. And then she was saying all this crazy stuff about like Opus Dei, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and so then I, so then I was like, okay, I'm gonna read this, you know, because she was like really into it and not really understanding maybe the difference between fiction and nonfiction. And uh, yeah, it just had this, you know, I read it in like, I don't know, three hours. It just was had it was really oh, yeah. fast paced. It's Gnostic cotton candy, you know. And I'm like, yeah, where's the, you know? Um, anyway, it's obviously a terrible novel, but yeah. I did enjoy it. I, someone, someone once said, I don't want to talk about the themes of this book. I just want to talk about its grammar. And it was just like <laughs> ten sentence dissections. And it was the most, it was the most humiliating thing. You're like, this book is not well written. Yeah. But it's, you know, I get it. It's right. Gnostic cotton candy. Right. So your background's in literature. Um, <laughs> and was there a particular genre that you were studying or, or historical period? Yeah, I, I definitely focused on the early modern Renaissance. Okay. Chaucer, Moore, Shakespeare okay. uh, were major, major sort of focus, you know, texts, focused authors. Um I spent a lot of time on the Aeneid back in the day. Oh, wow. Translated the first six books myself and read it a bunch of times. I taught it for 10 years. Fantastic. And then I've, you Did know, you teach it in Latin? Uh, no, well, sort of, but uh -huh. it was not a Latin course, but mm -hmm. I, I made a lot of, they had Latin, so I could mm -hmm. go there yeah. on a lot, yeah. but I was not a classics. Right. It was a lit, English lit class in translation. Yeah. So I've, I have some eclectic you know, things that I'd like, like I, I still teach now uh, every semester, twice a year, a continental lit course. So we do Crime and Punishment. I teach twice a year and I love oh, that Oh, that's book. such a fun book. Oh yeah. yeah. It's the, uh, Talk one, about a quick read. One of my professor friends calls it the Cadillac of <laughs> seminar class, right? It's yeah. just like the great classic car, you know? Yeah. Um, and I teach Utopia three times a year, uh, Moore's Utopia. I teach Hamlet uh, three times a year, sometimes four times a year. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's, you know, Hillsdale's got a lot of required core courses and I teach mm -hmm. some of those. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of texts I get close to. Some I don't like as much, but really respect for their craft, not necessarily for their teachings or mm -hmm. their view of things. Like uh, Baudelaire, I've come to have a profound respect for his power over modern culture. Oh, I love him. Yeah, but like he's, so he's amazing. He just writes about original sin. Yeah, and yeah, and the need for grace. He does. Wait, wait, yes. that would be a different episode. Yeah, that's right, different episode. Just trust me. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll just say, but does he hug the teaching? Well, yeah. yeah. So why did you, why did you want to write children's books? Were you frustrated with the books available to your kids, or was it just sort of something you always wanted to do? I actually, it, so it started in a weird way. I was actually very moved by Thomas More's example that when he was a young man, he decided he was just going to, he said, look, if I actually want to be of service, being of service means that I need to be a master communicator. Like I just need to be able to knit people together in speech. Like that's a fundamental part of civic service is the rhetoric 
mm-hmm. right? And the speech, and part of that is clearly poetry, right. right? And sort of the cultural arts that bond a people together in love and wisdom and directing towards high things, right? Mm-hmm. Through that communication, through the eye, but through the ear. Mm-hmm. And he just started practicing different kinds of literary arts. Now, I'm no Thomas More, so I didn't get far, but I did poetry because that's something I sort of knew. And I was like, I just want to practice this and, and get good at it. And, and as I started doing that, um, I, projects started to kind of take shape, right? You just sort of, like, you just, you're fiddling with the Play-Doh and then you start to see a shape and you're like, oh, this could be this. And uh, it sort of fell out as a just kind of an imitatio of someone I admired and respected and wanted to be helpful and then, I, you know, you read all these great poets who have these huge burning hearts that want to help everybody by bringing them beauty and truth and goodness. Then you kind of just want to do some of that, too. And mm-hmm. again, like a children's poet, no better do him call. Like, I, you know, like I didn't feel like I was a master. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I didn't swing for the fences. I swung for a single, maybe stretch it into a double and mm-hmm. try to do some beautiful things in children's literature. But that's kind of how it started, frankly, mm-hmm. fairly organically by just kind of getting close to more and then getting deeper into my master's in English and then deeper into my PhD. And mm-hmm. and it, it took shape. Me as mammals, I tried to model it after, after a medieval bestiary. Right. I but, love that. Yeah. But also episodically in a kind of imitation of the book of Proverbs where it doesn't look like it's ordered. It's just kind of like one thing after another. Mm-hmm. But in fact, if you sit with it long enough, Right, and even you don't have to sit with it long. It still will shape you in ways just by being around it for a little bit. But you start to see what's happening in like chapters seven through ten of the Proverbs. Like, like oh, there's an order here. Mm-hmm. You're being led somewhere in these mm-hmm. funny happenstance ways. Like, I want to do that kind of work because mm-hmm. I really admired the. For whatever reason, I just stumbled into studying epigrams. Mm-hmm. Again, through Thomas More, who wrote 260 plus epigrams as a preface to the Utopia. Hmm. And I did some work on that in grad school. And so I really liked that kind of epigrammatic episode, but like sort of a hidden pattern that was designed to help somebody, but it wasn't like here is number one, number two, number three. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Mr. Meehan's mildly amusing mythical mammals. They told me not to do that, by the way. Oh, really? Don't. Your, their title's too long. People will hate it. Oh. <laughs> I, no, I oh, no, yes. My, 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 thought, my publisher I said, saying, I cannot talk yeah, about the old book. Yeah, I was like, no, no. oh. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Mr. Meehan's mildly amusing mythical mammals. Uh, which I think is a delightful title. Thank you. Uh, although you know, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a publisher. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just curious. One, how you got connected to the illustrator because, um, you know, the the illustrations are are really striking and and beautiful and and sometimes absurd and funny. <clears throat> and then just, I mean, I guess I just want to hear about um, the process of this book taking shape and coming to be and. Also, your experience of reading it with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, first things first, John Folly, who's a very good friend of mine, uh, he and his wife were very good friends, my wife Molly and I. He and I taught together for years uh, mm. okay. at the Heights School here in Potomac. Oh, you taught at the Heights? Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, we'd sit at lunch chatting about culture and the revivification of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, yes, to the point you asked earlier, I didn't even get to it, but like, yeah, a lot of what I saw was sort of like subpar grade B kid stuff, or you had to reach back to like sepia classics. 
Right. right. I mean, I mostly read classics to right. my kids. And, and, but part of me was like, that is the symbol of a dying culture. Like, it feels like you're eating out of, like, a can of beans dodging Terminator 2 robots in mm-hmm. a bombed out, you know, farmhouse. If you can only use old books and no one's producing something beautiful that has the sort of classic feels, like, I'm going to do mm-hmm. some of that. Like, I'm yeah. going to do that just almost as a declaration of renewed health. Right? Mm-hmm. Cross that threshold of hope. Like, let's have mm-hmm. some more of our own times, good times. Right. Uh, and we were talking about that, like sort of like cultural rejuvenation and hope and and this, the idea of doing a kid's book together, him as illustrator, myself as author, it sort of took shape over lunch. But we were very like perfectionists in our way, like we're mm-hmm. sort of intense. Mm-hmm. So we spent a year doing political cartoons that we didn't really publish. A couple of them went into some papers. One went into like a Senate briefing to try to convince some people to not do something. I yeah. heard it scared some people. <laughs> the image was rather frightening. But yeah. but we just decided we were going to practice putting word and image together. Mm-hmm. And it actually was so salutary because it's not easy getting someone else to see what you think. It's actually kind of like the art of friendship right there. And it was actually a forge for these books. We spent a year doing it and our wives were like, please, this isn't making any money and it's actually a lot of time. You need to stop. <laughs> And we're like, no, it's going to be for something good, we promise. Uh-huh. And then we did the book the year after. Mm-hmm. And so we have like a Google Doc of like 115 pages. Wow. That describe each image and workshop it. We mm-hmm. even like choose music, like to set the mood of the soul of this illustration. Wow. Like we break up the different parts and call, find analogs. And most of the paintings are actually, they're either making references to different natural things that have themes that tie into the poems and or, and usually and, they're also referencing pieces of ancient art or from the artistic tradition that also have resonant themes with the poems. So we kind of just did like a, here's a tour of human history through these images and poems that are like referencing and adapting from different authors and painters. So we went nuts. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, I think the product is really wonderful. And reading this book, too, I have six kids, but, um, you know, I mostly read this with my son, Dominic, who is six. And he was very drawn to the illustrations, right, which is good. Um, Another complaint I have about children's literature now is that it's just that a lot of the illustrations are terrible, Deliberately so, sometimes, um, it seems. And it's it's just like, you know, what what's going on there. One thing that I really appreciate is just how marvelous the illustrations are because it, it really is important for younger kids yeah. to have something to help in their imagination. John John's a realist impressionist trained in the Boston School from okay. masters trained in the Col de Arts. They can trace yeah. their master apprenticeship all the way back to Rayfield's workshop in Florence. Oh, wow. So he's he's a real deal. Yeah. So, but I also think for this book, it's a necessary compliment because, you know, on the one hand, this is obviously a children's book, but on the other hand, it's kind of not, right? Um, yeah, I mentioned so, that earlier, a little bit of genre explosion. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, I think it works. In my experience with my son, it works. Yeah. But it's I just, good to hear from you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, I, but again, I, I would invite you at some point to talk about your experience of reading this with children and their response. But, you know, there are a lot of big words, right? Uh, unfamiliar to children's ears. So what I'm just... Even some adults. 
Well, for sure. Yeah. I went to the glossary. Absolutely. Like, what's that? <laughs> That's why a third of the book is a glossary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just, yeah, I just want to hear your thought process about that. Yeah, I, so I wanted this book. This sounds really wacky, but I don't care. You're, you're, you're totally up for wacky, I can yeah. tell, which is great. Yeah. So I honestly, like, I knew what I was doing in that, like, okay, this book is my first book. I want it to be almost like, you know, like in ice skating, there's the technical portion where they're like doing all these very mm -hmm. discreet moves that are mm -hmm. very complicated. And then they go out and do sort of more simple in a certain sense, big jumps and mm -hmm. more razzle dazzle. I actually wanted my first book to be like very technical uh -huh. and complex. Mm -hmm. And so I worked very hard to, to kind of make it sumptuously complicated mm -hmm. in this way. But part of what I wanted to do with the, with the vocabulary, so on a couple different levels, one... And I've, I've had a number of conversations over the years about the book where people are like, hmm, that's a lot of big words. This might be a problem for kids. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Right before I wrote it, I actually read The Wind in the Willows to my kids. Mm -hmm. We bumped into tons of words that nobody knew and there was no glossary. Mm -hmm. But you just kind of let it roll because the beauty and the fun and the illustrations and, you know, I don't know what a mirror is, but I'm going to just push past, right? Mm -hmm. And there's even passages that have tons of natural vocabulary words that nobody knows today unless mm -hmm. you go look them up. Well, and, and also whenever you're reading classical kids literature, it's just like stuff that doesn't exist anymore. That's right. Yeah. You're Spindles like, what's that? And, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Right. But what is that? Part of me was just kind of like, okay, I hear you. And the critics were going to crush me if I did this. Uh, you know, because everyone's very much like reading appropriate, age appropriate, it has to have the words that are for that grade. It's like, okay, I'm ignoring that, but I'm going mm -hmm. to answer you because I'm going to make a huge glossary so that no kid feels dumb or left out. They can quickly just go read a simpler definitional version and go, got it. Okay, that's what that word is. And part of me was like, okay, when are you going to build vocabulary better than with rhyme, rhythm, humor, art, pictures, little beasts and fables? Right. This is the time to build their vocabulary mm -hmm. when it's so packed full of other sugar, mm -hmm. right? Rather than just stare at a vocabulary list, which hasn't gone very well for us, frankly, over the last 25, 30 years. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. so I was like, this is the time to do it when I'm mm -hmm. just, it's, we're drenched in good, beautiful art and fun in this book. Mm -hmm. Let's push some words. Now that's for the kids, for the adults, the words I use are symbolically important in many cases. And the glossary, and this is for high-end nerd fun if you want to play. Like, I love Edmund Spencer's Shepherd's Calendar, even if I don't like everything Edmund Spencer <laughs> thinks. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a brilliant and beautiful poet. Mm -hmm. In his Shepherd's Calendar, which I spent a lot of time studying in grad school and loved, he has footnotes with all these commentary in the back mm -hmm. of each of the poems mm -hmm. for each month. Mm -hmm. And they're actually this funny sort of decoder ring to think more deeply about the themes mm -hmm. of each of his month's poem, the poem mm -hmm. of each month. So I actually use the glossary as a kind of way to hint at and point at different deeper themes that are involved in both the paintings and the poems in each of the letters of the alphabet mm -hmm. uh, as a kind of nod to or rip off of Edmund Spencer. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, if you want to go full like deep nerdery, mm -hmm. like the book has a much deeper level mm -hmm. to think about mm -hmm. things like death, time, love, friendship, God, the fallen will, right? Like there's lots going on and the glossary signals it by having words that people might not know. And then they go, oh, I got to look that up. But then they're in the middle of this discussion mm -hmm. between 
you know, Noah Webster, Sam Johnson, and uh, Matt Meehan, like Mm -hmm. about the history of this word and different poems and things. Mm -hmm. But they'll get a straight definition too. Mm -hmm. But so I... I wanted to do both of those things, and it's it's indicative of the work where where I'm trying to go. But I think that's what poets do it right. oftentimes is teach you how to do two things at once. Right. Right. Like when you're talking to one child, you know you're being listened to by four <clears throat> others, mm-hmm. and so you're having two conversations at once. Mm-hmm. And that's an adept parent who can do two things at once. Right. Did you have in your mind when you were writing this? Did you have like a target age? I mean, I know you said you write for the family. But did you kind of feel like, oh, this is the sweet spot? Yeah, the, the middle schooler, basically. Okay. The kid who in a summer, right, would, would like go on a vacation and not quite be able to do all the older kid things, but not be a baby and want to play the baby games. So like a sixth might, grader? Sixth, seventh, seventh grader? grader might grab a book and go <clears throat> disappear mm-hmm. and just devour an entire mm-hmm. book and yeah. kind of get lost in it. Right. That age for me was like around like fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Mm-hmm. My six-year-old really loved it yeah but but i but i i tried like that was the core but then i tried to like lengthen out the tails on each end Mm -hmm. to reach down that's why you start with an actual just letter block that has the funny alliterative Mm -hmm. games yeah right like the yeah i mean the one thing that's really great about this just for our listeners who you know aren't looking at it you know it's how many pages is this Maybe I should not count the closer you and I. Um, okay, so it's like 81 pages. Uh, I mean, the thing is, you can read like five or six pages, and that's it. That's your bedtime reading. Sure. And there are a lot of nights when that's all I have time for anyway. Exactly. And yeah, we what, have a big family too, so it's very much yeah, with that okay. in mind. Yeah, so it's really wonderful. And what I found was Dominic would come back to me with a book and be like, we're on age. You know, mom, now. Yeah, because frankly, when I first got the book, I thought, "Wow, um, this is, you know, what's the word? I'm sophisticated, elaborate, sophisticated, sophisticated, right? You know." And then I had planned to read it to Dominic because he just, of all my kids, he loves reading with mom more than anyone. And then I thought, "Oh, maybe it won't work," but it did. It really did. Have you spent? I mean, who have you read the book with besides your own kids? With nieces and nephews, mm-hmm. um, I've done a number of readings for schools, uh, mm-hmm. and I've done them for as young as first and second grade. Yeah. Um, and as old as seventh. After that, I think they're kind of like, please, just yeah. get away from me. This right. is weird. Right. But um, but yeah, so I've done a number of readings. I was on tour for like probably six months going to oh, schools cool. and things. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I might not be able to sustain that level of energy for round two. <laughs> right. Well, you know. We learned, we learned that that might yeah. not be the best for our yeah. mental health. But uh, it was a it was a tough road. But I did get to read a lot, and that was the response I got was sort of like wonder mm-hmm. and curiosity and mm-hmm. enjoyment, but not understanding the first time. Mm-hmm. Where they're just kind of like, "Whoa, that's cool," and I like this one, but not they hadn't like. But then you get fan mail and mm-hmm. people like like asking you questions and drawing pictures that show that they sort of understood what was at stake. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's still my experience with most poetry. The first time I read it, it's like, oh, that was beautiful and wonderful, but I don't, I'm not really sure I know what what was happening. Yeah. Not not even maybe 70% sure what this poem (laughs) is about. You know, I mean, that's why poetry is so great. You keep going back to it. 
and you see something every time that you didn't see there before. I guess just really fast, I wanted to invite you to read maybe one of the shorter ones, sure. just so that our listeners get a sense for the poetry. You can pick whichever one you want. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll pick the shortest, simplest, and it was actually <clears throat> one of the first ones written that the rest was built around. The, oh, yeah, great. The main character, that the sounds... Dali, who's oh, the guy right. on the cover, Yeah, who Perfect. has a little bit of a... He goes on a journey. There is a plot uh, that it's loose and light, but he gets he's good at dodging the rain and he gets mm-hmm. uh, sort of the rain is a symbol of sadness mm-hmm. and he gets rained on and has to sort of learn to cheer up and mm-hmm. to learn how to kind of govern his heart away from sadness, which, mm-hmm. you know, was kind of a triumph for all of us. So this is just the, the very simple introductory poem for the Dali, the letter D creature sort of like a dog combined with a gibbon monkey with necktie ears. The Dally. Among the pelting drops of rain, the Dally can be seen again. The rocks, the trees, they know him well. But where he'll show, no one can tell. For though the forests soaked and sopped, the Dally skirts each drop that's plopped. So if you are one keen of eye who sits and stoops in storms, you'll spy the dodgy Dally dancing dry. I love it. Is, uh, do you have any plans for an audiobook? So, uh, w- yes. Because it would be brilliant. We were hoping to do one. My thought is actually to do an audiobook of the two books together. Yeah. Would be kind of a fun way to do it. But yeah, it's been mentioned. It was just frankly. Uh, I mean, a lot of writers, time you know. And energy. Yeah. Well, I think it would be wonderful because unlike many writers, you have. A vi- you have a great voice, a, like spoken voice. Yeah, so. I, I, I think actually like just in the last few years as I've gotten like older and more mm-hmm. like gravelly tired. Yeah. That I've gotten that. Yeah. But well, I, but you know, it's time to, do the, time to do the audio book right. then. Right. So let's talk about, oh, wait, one more question before Please. we move on to your next book. Because yeah. this is a question that just really interests me as a parent, but just generally. How do you think we get children to appreciate poetry because I don't think the schools are doing a great job with that. The way that poetry seems to be taught now is really analytical and um, in a way that seems to basically just turn kids off from poetry. Like we're going to learn the different types of poems and blah, 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 rather than just appreciating the beauty of it, which I think is, you know, Step one, if not also step two and three. But um, how do you think we can help our children to come to love and appreciate poetry? So that's a great question. And I've thought a lot about it and actually like made some moves. Like we did, uh, you know, things at our school, the Heights that I taught at for 20 years before I was part-time Heights in Hillsdale and then full-time Hillsdale Mm -hmm. sort of moved over over the last few years. But um, at the Heights, we have poetic recitation competitions, like the public recitation of poetry. Mm-hmm. And I do that in my own family. Like when I have guests over, I will be the embarrassing and ridiculous father who's like, let's truck out a few of the children for a recitation for our guests. Yeah. yeah. And the kids are like, what? And the guests My kids are, would kill me. Yeah, the guests are like, what? You know, mm-hmm. but we do it and people love it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we don't do it for hours. We do mm-hmm. like two poems, right? Yeah. But just making it a part of their their actual public life is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is it like a dramatic performance? It's just a recitation, very yeah. simple, kind of like the reading I just gave, but from yeah. memory. They have mm-hmm. to stand up. I mean, my colleague here, David Azarad, 
I had him over for dinner once when one of my sons was quite young and he memorized Ogden Nash mm-hmm. rabbits. Mm-hmm. So this cute little blushing kid, just mm-hmm. five years old. This is a verse about rabbits that does not mention their habits. And then he bowed and he's like, that was amazing. <laughs> so it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated yeah. or sort of like, and now the rhyme of the ancient mariner, you know. Yeah. But right. um, that's one. But the other thing is in terms of teaching, like you were kind of saying it, the way we teach it is basically a kind of critical method. I know. Right. Here's terrible. the thing. Let's murder to dissect. Right. right. Mm-hmm. But I think the more traditional way that I've been encouraging people to think more about an education because I'm also on the advisory board for the Barney Charter School Initiative at Hillsdale and mm. help with their curriculum and mm. things like that. But, but one of the things to think about is imitatio, right? That used to be the way we teach poetry is mm-hmm. imitation. Like you do it. Mm-hmm. You make something, build, right? Mm-hmm. Like actually do it. Mm-hmm. And that's much more exciting. It's more fun. It's, you have more purchase on it, right? Where you're like, okay, read this poem. Let's think about it. But let's think about it with the idea of you're going to do something like it, but that's your own. And I think the building of poetry and sort of actually thinking about it, almost like, let's study deck building, son. Mm-hmm. Let's look at 15 decks and learn them. Like, how about, let's look at some decks so we can build a deck in the back. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, that's a totally different kind of yeah. aspectual approach to something. And I think it creates more joy. And I think it's also the way we had a poetic culture beforehand. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, a, that's another big part of sort of flipping the script on the critical method. Right. And do you think that we should read children's poetry to children or we should just read them poetry? Well, I think Mother Goose, like Little Rhymes, the Dally, mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's salutary mm-hmm. to do that kind of start a simple nursery rhymes, but also songs, right? Like songs are very helpful. Hymns from church. Those things all give people the sense of rhyme and rhythm. And I think it's very good to do, but... You know, there's some poetry, like if all poetry is an imitation of soul, right? The sort of like, I'm going to read Yeats to my kids, like maybe some Yeats, but let's yeah. be very discerning, right? He's, sort of, yeah. he's a complicated fellow that you might not want to leave with your kids after school, you know, like, <laughs> right? Like sort of the whole, like, I'm just going to read this, you know, uh-huh. this poem from this complex author uh-huh. to my seven-year-old. I'm like, maybe you want to rethink that. Yeah, like, probably not going to read Baudelaire to them. Yeah, that's right. The fleur de mal for my <laughs> seven-year-old, not a good plan. <laughs> It's a little intense. Okay, so you have a a new book. Um, Is this out now? Uh, So I now have advanced copies like the one in your hand. Okay. But the final product, which has a slightly different gloss cover, uh, Mm. will be out July 20th. Okay, so that's exciting. So it's also tan books. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is The Handsome Little Signet. Um, And this is not poetry. This is just... Well, I mean, let's talk about what this is. Sure. Right? So it is a much simpler storybook for younger children, grades, what, K through three, grade mm-hmm. ages three through eight. But obviously, like I've said about the other book, it has an, an upper story for people mm-hmm. who are older. But um, it's in what I call lightly metered prose or what okay. used to be called rhetorical prose. Okay. Think of the way like a Cicero or an Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address that has a certain cadence, but it breaks apart into something more mundane, but then it comes back to beauty and mm-hmm. a certain rock and rhythm, and then it goes back into something. So it doesn't like hang on the ear too sweetly the way a poem would, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, it has a certain sort of gorgeous beauty that moves you. Mm-hmm. That used to be very common training in the liberal arts back in the old 
liberal arts education class. Back when there was liberal arts exactly. education. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do. I, <laughs> yeah. I've been teaching rhetoric a lot lately because of the, the the grad school in government. I teach a required one credit in the art of rhetoric, and we read Cicero's De Oratoria. He talks about this mm-hmm. practice that right. all the great statesmen used to do. Right. But I was like, this used to be a kind of way of communicating. So I wrote it in this almost. It's like it feels like poetry part of the time, but then you're like, no, it's not poetry. So I call it light, it doesn't have a name in English really, but I'm like lightly metered prose. So that's how it's written. And it has a kind of sing song cadence. I even like sort of make something of repetition in a special way in the way the story is told mm-hmm. that has a kind of rocking mm-hmm. uh, childlike effect, a hypnotic effect that I think is very pretty. But it's a, basically, it's a storybook that's a kind of riff on the ugly duckling story, but told in reverse. Instead of the ugly duckling, it's the handsome little signet. Mm-hmm. Like a baby swan is a signet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of not knowing what you are and kind of moving towards discovery, this is the story of someone who basically has a fairly you know, clear but not mature view, and then it gets kind of shaken uh, and confused, and then he has to, the little signet has to sort of rediscover who he is and what he's meant to be, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, frankly, a very timely theme uh, mm-hmm. for the day. Right. Yeah. It's watercolor this time. John Folly did not do oils, so it doesn't have the sort of deep uh, seriousness of the, the, the illustrations of the other one, but that one was about sadness and like mm-hmm. overcoming sadness through joy and friendship. Mm-hmm. And this one's more, a you know, little water bird. It's a kid's book. So it's, it's more kind of brighter watercolor. It's a lighter touch. Mm-hmm. littler people it's still wonderful illustrations oh yeah they're gorgeous um really wonderful and it's just like a really high quality book yeah. you know this isn't um this isn't one of those books that's going to be falling apart after your third read <laughs> it's not cheaply made why did you pick central park it seems to be central park yeah um for a, a bunch of reasons a couple of them i felt like new york needed a little pick-me-up Right with COVID, indeed. Like, we all need a little of, pick me sort up. Sort of a beat down for Central Park and Manhattan, and yeah. you know, sort of De Blasio. Yeah. Uh, so there's actually a seek and find in the back where you can learn about the wildlife of Central Park and the monuments. Oh, that's really fun. Yeah, and, I didn't notice that. And uh, oh but, yeah, but there's also a few like stupid laughs, like find an N95 mask, <laughs> which is like right. cast aside amongst some garbage. Right. At the sort of gross part of uh, the story. Right. But that that's one. But the other one is that in terms of building what you are, right, like a coming of age book, which is, you know, like in the algorithms, one of the algorithm markers for our book is, you know, bird stories, coming of age, and parenting are actually three of the algorithmic keys mm-hmm. for the book. And coming of age, part of that is, right, thinking about what you are and then artfully shaping that, mm-hmm. right, to sort of enhance what you are. Mm-hmm. And so that nature and art together and seeing art as actually part of our nature, mm-hmm. right, that we shape ourselves according to our nature into something. One of my predecessors at the Heights, Eddie Smith, a wonderful man, uh, lives here in D.C. He looks like Frederick Douglass and has a booming voice. But he would say, male is a question of biology. A man is a question of virtue. Mm-hmm. Right. Sort right. of like to be male right. is, is that's, that's just the nature of it. But mm-hmm. to be a man, you have to artfully shape yourself into manhood. Right. So that's what I see a park as, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's man using nature, leaves, grass, plants, buck right. ducks, but shaping it in a way that's useful to their city life. Right. And so I saw Central Park, which is the beating heart of this huge conventional city. And yet 
at the very heart of the whole island in Manhattan, but also the city itself, is this, this activity of taking what's natural and shaping and enhancing it to its greatest joy for, you know, for fulfillment and, and you know, human happiness. Yes. Well, that is a subject matter near and dear to my heart, <laughs> since I do virtue ethics in the natural law tradition. But at any rate, I mean, I, I love your books. I think they're so um, just wonderfully crafted and just beautiful in, in every way that literary art can be beautiful. They are published by TAN, which is a Catholic, it's a Catholic publishing house, right? Oh, yeah. I'm really glad that we were able to do this. Thank and you. And I'm just... I'm such a big fan of Mr. Meehan's Mildly Amusing Mythical Mammals, and I'm so excited now to read your second book, and I'm really happy you're writing a third. Thanks. So, yeah, thanks for joining me.